Can anybody tell me what the vision statement of Gateway Church is? We exist to spread. We exist to spread peanut butter. We exist to spread a passion. Okay, every generation, we've got the end bit. We exist to spread a passion for the glory of God through Jesus Christ to every nation and every generation. That's what we exist to do, which means that as a church, we want to be representative of the nations, which is wonderful. I was listening to someone's podcast recently, um, a wise person, uh, and who was saying that it's possible to be multinational, have lots of people in a room, but not be multicultural. In other words, you can have lots of different nations in the room, but only one culture that is the dominant culture. Well, by the grace of God, we, we want to be multinational and multicultural. And the way to be multicultural is allow people to be themselves. Is, is that, yeah? Yes. Not conforming to what everybody thinks it ought to look like or whatever. Just be who you are in Jesus. That's what we want. Amen? Amen. 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 So I'm enjoying this morning. <laughs> You've already had more than one sermon. And they were great, Shade. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, give the Lord a sh- praise this morning. What sets us apart? What sets us apart? We live in a highly competitive world where a number of people in lots of different contexts are trying to figure out what sets them apart, what makes them different, what gives them the edge, whether it's in business, what makes your business and your products another level beyond what other people are doing. It might be in school. What sets you apart from the other people in the class in school so you end up on the top of the curve in the marks? It might be for our young people that if you're looking to make relationships with other people, what sets you apart that people would notice you, that would make people want to be in relationship with you? Sports teams. What sets you apart on a team that, that the, the coach should put you on rather than other people? And what sets your team apart? Our own Winnipeg Blue Bombers this last year came within two points, as most of you well know, of doing the three-peat. They would have been the third team ever to have done it and the first since the Edmonton Eskimos with the incomparable Warren Moon back in whatever it was, the 80s back then. A long time ago. Winnipeg were on the cusp of doing something very special. That would have set them apart. People could have talked about being a dynasty as a team. Well, they got very close, and to do two in a row wasn't bad anyway and be in the final. So we've got lots to be thankful for about that. But what sets us apart? Last week, Pastor Chris was talking about being set apart in a little bit of a different way. If you remember the scripture he gave us, he talked to us out of Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5, where God says to the people, consecrate yourselves. That word consecrate means set yourself apart. Be set apart. 
For tomorrow, he says, I'm going to do miracles or wonders among you. That word, miracles or wonders, in the Hebrew, what it means is an extraordinary event, an extraordinary happening, something that goes on that kind of blows your mind, that sets you apart from other people. That's what the Hebrew literally means. It's something that is so extraordinary, it sets you apart. And so if you were to reword the words that Chris was bringing us to last week, God's saying, if you will set yourself apart from me, for me, sorry, if you will set yourself apart for me, I'm going to do things in you that are going to be so extraordinary that they will set you apart from the people around you. That's what God wants to do with his people. We're a special people. Did you hear that this morning? It's already been prophesied over us, set apart, brought together from the nations of the earth, and God wants to do something extraordinary in us. He wants to do wonders. He wants to do miracles. He wants to do things in our lives that set us apart from the people around us. Not so that we can strut around and say, oh, we're, we have the edge. We're on top of everybody else. But so that we are a display of his splendor, a display of his glory, a display of who he really is to the world around us. So when Julia was suffering with cancer and going through cancer in the middle of COVID, we couldn't get out of the house to do what we need to do. And the neighbors weren't able to get out of their houses to do anything either. They were amazed by the cars that showed up at our front drive. People who got out of their vehicles came up with a box load of whatever and put it on our step and left. Because you looked after us when we were struggling. You've no idea what that did to us, and you've no idea what it did to the neighbors around us. It was a display of the glory of God. That's what it was. God's kindness at work through ordinary people in a way that makes people go, oh my goodness, there's something different about those people. What is it? Well, what is it that makes us different? What sets us apart we're going to look at a passage today that explains, it goes back in history a little bit from where Chris had us last week, back to when the people of Israel have been brought out of Egypt, they've been brought to the Mount of Sinai, and they're being taught the ways of the Lord. And God has said he's going to do wonders among them. And now he's going to show them the greatest wonder of them all. And we're going to read it together in Exodus chapter 25 verse 1 to 8. So if you have a Bible with you or you have a, an app or you just want to read it on the screen, you can do that. Let me read it for you. Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 to 8. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hairs, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. 
exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. A greater wonder than the Red Sea parting and a million Israelites walking across on dry land and the Egyptian army being swallowed up in water behind them. A greater miracle than 40 years of every morning and every night there being food for God's people, which he sent from heaven supernaturally for them. 40 years wandering in the wilderness, fed supernaturally by God. A greater wonder even than that is what is shown us in the passage today. It's probably the greatest miracle of them all that God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who threw billions of stars into our galaxies and holds them together by his might and his power, that God, the creator God, who fills all things in every way, he's enormous in his power and his might and his glory and his holiness, that God, wants to come and live with us. And he wants to come and live with us in remarkable ways. Let me explain that to you. First of all, he says, I want it to be a holy place. He says, I'm going to come and make me, you want, I want you to make me a sanctuary. I want you to make me a holy place. That's what the word sanctuary means. It means, again, to be set apart. You're a set apart people. I'm going to set you apart from the nations, and I want you to set apart a place for me. Make me a special place, a holy place. Well, this had special meaning, particularly for the Israelites, because they're standing at the bottom of a mountain that they've been brought to, and the top of the mountain is on fire like a volcano. And there's the sound of thunder and lightning, and every now and again, trumpets sounding out of this fire on the top of the mountain. This is the God of creation who's come down to meet with his people. The people were scared. They were trembling. This would not necessarily have appeared to them exactly like good news. That God up that mountain with all that fire is going to come down and wants to live with us. Yes, the God of all fire, the God of all holiness, the God of all power wants to come and live with you. Wow, that is going to be a holy place. That God up that mountain wants to come and live with me. Whew. Yeah, he says, make a special place for me. A holy place. Because he is a holy, awesome God. That should fill us with wonder. It should fill us with awe. And it should fill us with humility that says, oh my goodness, God is in the house. If God is in the house, what sort of a place should I prepare for him? I want it to be a sanctuary, he says. Then he says, I want it to be a place that I may dwell in their midst. You know, in England, the royal family 
as their main place of dwelling, Buckingham Palace. And when they're in Buckingham Palace, or whoever is the reigning monarch, the king now, they have a flag that goes up a pole. And you can see the flag flying on the top of the pole, and you know that the king is in the house. But the king has other residences. You can go up to Scotland and Balmoral and off to his estate or whatever they do, their royal yacht or whatever they did in those days. Lots of different places they can go. And when he goes, they bring the flag down because he's no longer in residence there. God is not that sort of monarch. He does not have a holiday home or somewhere else he goes off to or a yacht he goes off to, different places that he goes around. And so you bring the flag down that God's no longer in the house today. The word dwelling place means this. I want to come and stay with you permanently. I'm not coming as a guest. Make the guest suite ready and then in two weeks I'm off. I am coming to move into the midst, into your house, and I want to be there permanently. It's awesome that God wants to be with us in the first place. But he's not coming for a visit. He's coming to stay. That is incredible. I will never leave you, Jesus said. I will never forsake you. When we pray for God to come and move in our midst, we're not praying for a visitation. There have been many visitations over the last couple of thousand years where God moves in, amazing things happen, and then it seems to drift away. God wants a habitation. He wants somewhere he moves in and he does not move out. That's the sort of dwelling place he's looking for. A holy place, a sanctuary, a dwelling place. And finally in this portion, a central place. He says, I may dwell in their midst. Well, Lord, we'll make a guest room ready. We have a nice little annex off the side of the house or we have a basement suite or somewhere we can put you. No, 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 no. I want to be in the middle of your house. Don't put me in the fringes. Don't put me out by the garage. Don't put me in the basement. Don't put me somewhere. I come to be in the middle of your house. In the old days, when the kings and the queens went to war and they camped, They would set up the king's and queen's tent in the middle of the camp and everybody else camped around the outside. The king in the midst, in the middle. All the orders, everything else that went out to everybody came out from that place of being in the center. When God's saying, I want you to make me a dwelling place, he wants us to make a holy place, a place set apart for him. He wants us to make a place where he can come and stay and he wants us to make a place that's right bang in the center of our hearts and our lives. He comes to rule. He comes to reign. He comes to be the king. He comes to be the chief influencer of everything that happens in our lives. And part of prayer and fasting and the wonderful opportunity that we have in prayer and fasting is this. We get the chance to shift out the clutter. We get a chance to move the furniture. We get a chance to take away the other things that have filled up the spaces that God wants to fill in our lives. And one of the reasons we did it over three weeks this year is we recognize that people coming out of Christmas, you might not catch on in the first week, you might not catch on in the second week, and we want to give you every opportunity to get on board. 
So if you've not done anything yet, don't worry. Don't beat yourself up about that. This is your second invitation. And we're going to give you a third one next week. Lord, for this week, how do you want me to clear my house so that it's a holy place for you, so that it's a dwelling place for you, and so that it's in the center? You're not at the fringes of my life. You are right bang in the middle. This is the wonder that God wanted to do. He wanted to come and live in the middle of his people. And it's what he's always wanted to do. That's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Christmas is all about God coming in the form of Jesus Christ and living in the midst of his people. And you know in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, when he talks about Jesus coming, he says of Jesus, he calls him the Word, and he said, the Word is made flesh and it dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means he tabernacled among us. In other words, all that God wants to do in a picture for us in the tabernacle of the Old Testament, what they were looking to build here, God did by sending his son. And in his son, there was a holy place for God. In his son, there was a permanent dwelling place. And in his son, there was the centrality of the rulership and the kingship of God in his son. He tabernacled among us. And Jesus lived and died on a cross so that we could come into relationship with him and have all those things that would take away from his glory that would, would keep us from, I don't think we can take away from his glory, but would keep us from who he is by our sin and the wrong things that we do. We can get them washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. We can have our houses cleaned so that he can come and live in the, in the middle of who we are. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to his disciples and followers to fill them because we are now that temple. We are now that tabernacle. We are now the dwelling place of God on earth. You are the dwelling place of God on earth. We together are the dwelling place of God on earth. That is awesome. What sets us apart? The presence of the mighty God in our midst. Right here. Right where we are. Gathered here in this gym. At your office tomorrow morning. Or your daycare. Or your school. Or wherever you are. What sets you apart? The presence and the power of God in your midst. Wherever you are. Whatever you're doing. That is awesome. And it's a wonderful privilege. So how do we partner with God in becoming the dwelling place that he wants us to be? Well, looking at this scripture here, there's just three things I want to quickly pull out as we close this morning. And the first is this. God encourages them to bring what they have. Bring what you have. And then he itemizes it all. He says, Bring your gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. My, these, these people sound like rich people, right? These wanderers in the desert with their, with their tents, they sound like they're loaded. Want them in our church? Why are they loaded? Did they work for that? 
Was it done by their own sweat of their own brow? Is that where they got all this stuff? <laughs> no, they took it from the Egyptians on the way out of Egypt. <laughs> the Egyptians were so keen to see them gone. God had done so many wonders and miracles to the Egyptians. They're like, don't just get out, but we, wanna, we want you to think nicely of us when you go out. So here's my earrings, and here, here, here's, I've got this gold thing in my, in my chest downstairs. I'm going to give that to you. And, and they came out loaded. Loaded with all the good things that God had given them. Maybe they're wondering while they're wandering around the desert and they don't have any shops to spend their money at, why am I loaded? Well, now they know. They're loaded because God wants them to bring what they have and create for him a dwelling place. Bringing what they have. And then he asks them to bring who they are because he says, listen, he says, I, I want you to bring all of these things and then I want you to make for me a sanctuary. In some ways you'd have thought, God, if you want to do something that really honors you and is perfect enough for you, you better not have us involved. Isn't that how you would think? That's how I would think. Just do it yourself, God, because it'll come out better, believe me. But God wanted to bring who they were. Some of them were, some of them were brilliant at stitching the most beautiful tapestries. Some of them could work metal and, and, and create shapes of beauty. What do you do? What, what talents and gifts has God given you? They had talents and gifts. God said, I want, you, I want you to anoint those talents and gifts and I want you to bring them because I want to do something special and I want to make something special. I want a dwelling place and you're going to build it. Isn't that amazing? God wants us to be part of building something for him together. But he says, and this is a wonderful piece, this is not forced labor. I want you to build me a house. Bring all your stuff Bring who you are. And if you don't, you see that fire on the top of the mountain? That's coming down. <laughs> These people had been used to forced labor. They'd had it for 400 years. They were slaves. Special people? Yeah, God chose slaves. Slaves. In whom to display his glory. That's who God chose. And they had been used to forced labor. People standing there and saying, you need to do this because if you don't do that, this whip's coming down on you. Push, push, push. Punish, punish, punish. Guilt, guilt, guilt. That's how they used to work. And now they've come to the mountain of the hill of the Lord. And he's awesome on top of that hill. But when he asks them to get involved, it's not forced labor. It's not you must because if you don't, I'm going to fry you. Look what he says. Every man whose heart moves him. Ooh. What, do it if you want to? Yeah. If your heart moves you. What does that speak of? Well, I read that and I think that's freedom. He wants a house built out of love, not duty right? Because I want to. Because I want to be with God. Because I want him to fill my life. Because I want him to be around everything that, he, that I do. And I want his glory 
to set me apart because I want that. I want to, I, God, if you want me to do it, I'll do whatever. Because the heart moves him. God is not here to make you feel guilty because you didn't fast last week, if you didn't. If you didn't pray last week, God is not here to make you feel guilty. He doesn't need our guilt and our, that sort of pressure-driven performance. He wants love. He's inviting us into a relationship. And if your heart felt moved this morning already to do something, maybe there are things you're thinking, I, I can't even do that. My heart, what my felt moved to do, I can't do. I don't have the power to do. Well, come back to him and say, Lord, I don't have the power to I feel moved to do something, but I'm not moving. Have you ever been in that situation? A number of, well, no, it was just before Christmas. I think it might even have been Christmas Eve. We were, we were doing our last minute shopping because we're so organized. Actually, it wasn't their fault. It was my fault. I came up with my Christmas list the day before Christmas Eve, which was not a blessing. <laughs> anyway, we're going around buying stuff, and we pull up outside a Canadian tire in Southdale, and it was, I don't know if you remember, but it was freezing. It was frigidly cold. And as I, we, we sat outside, two of the girls go in to buy their stuff, and I'm waiting, and I can see this guy standing over... Um, on the other side, looking out over, over the Canadian tower, and he's standing like this. He must have been hmm, 80 plus. He's got his hood over him like this, and, uh, and he's just not moving. He's trembling with the cold, but he's not moving. I'm thinking, what, what on earth's going on here? So I thought, you know, is he somebody that's just begging for money? You know, what do I do about that? I don't know. But something moved my heart. You need to get out of the car and you need to go and find out what's going on. Okay, Lord. So I get out of the car, I go up to him, and I ask him if I can help him. Well, he mumbled something. It sounded very grumpy and it kind of sounded like go away. And I'm thinking, yeah, he doesn't sound like he wants my... So I tried again. No, no, he was, didn't seem to be responding at all. So I'm about to walk away. When my heart moved me, do not go. So I go back to him again, and I'm standing next to him, and I'm, let's say, I'm trying to make something. He's mumbling. And finally, he says, Parkinson's. Um, I, Parkinson's. Okay. I, I'm not a, a doctor. I, I don't know ins and outs of things. But he's telling me what's wrong with him. And, and so he's standing there like this, and I'm beginning to catch on. So I'm saying, are you wanting to go inside? Are you wanting to, is that where you're wanting to go? And eventually he said something like, can't move. He was stuck in minus 40, whatever it was. I mean, it was frigid. And so I thought, well, what do I do? So he was going to move, and I could see he was trying to get his right foot going. So I, I, I got down. Initially, I just put my foot behind his right foot, and I moved it forward like this, and he went like that. And he seemed to be happy about that. But it was like not enough. So I didn't know what to do. So I got down on the floor and I got a hold of his foot and I pushed his four foot forward. And as I stand here, he went like this. His foot went forward and then his next foot and then next foot, and he was off. 
He didn't even turn around to say goodbye because he needed to get into that place as quickly as he possibly could. Have you ever felt your heart move you to do something and you can't move? You have a Father in heaven who will come all the way down to the coldest spot on earth and he will get down, if necessary, on his hands and his knees and he will move your foot himself. Lord, I feel my heart move. I'd like to do something. I'd like to give myself to prayer and fasting this next week. I, I, uh, but I, I can't do it. I can't move. Would you help me to move? And God will come down. And he will help you to move. Because this thing begins with him. And it happens through him. So that all the glory goes back to him at the end. Amen. What does that time say? 11.38. Okay. All right, I'm done. Well done. Let me tell you a story to finish with, another story. Dawson, team, could you come up? Why are we sitting here this morning? What is God in the midst of doing amongst us? We have a building that's being built. We knew at the start it was going to be 16.5 million. That's a lot of Egyptian gold that I don't have. Where are we going to get that sort of money for, from, Lord? What are you going to do? Back in 1983, before some of you were born, God moved on the heart of some of our people to start a school. They started it down in Heaton Avenue down in the center of the city. And within a year, God had stirred things in their heart and he moved them to buy a plot of land up on Panet Road. That plot of land on Panet Road was pretty much like our plot of land at West St. Paul when we bought it. It was the end of the earth in terms of Winnipeg. It was the end of Winnipeg. And they bought that plot of land for $140,000, which doesn't sound a lot to us now. But to them, that was a huge amount of money. And they felt the Lord tell them not to build on that land until every part of that $140,000 had come in. So they prayed and they prayed and they trusted God. And by the grace of God, $140,000 came in. And then they built. They brought what they had. And they brought who they were. And they built from morning till night whenever they could. They built up the frame. People brought food. If people couldn't build, they painted. If they couldn't paint, they brought the food. And they put up the building that became the church and the school building at Panet Road. 851 Panet Road. More importantly, before the build and at the end of the build every day, they got together and they worshipped and they prayed. Because right from the beginning, this was not about building a physical building. It was about building a house for God between themselves as a people. Which is why we are prayer and fasting this week, even though we don't have a building. Because we are the church. They put up that building, and then it was renovated by people bringing who they are and bringing what they have. Eight times we renovated that building. I came along in 1992. That's a lot of renovations. 
God knew at some point we were going to need $16.5 million. When we sold that property and the building that had all been built by us, by the grace of God that was on us, we sold that building and that particular part of the land for $6.5 million. That's amazing. That's the grace and the kindness of God. And it's what happens when a people give themselves to be a dwelling place for the glory of God on earth. He does wonders. He does miracles. He does signs. And God is going to do signs and wonders and miracles with us. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, I am going to do wonders among you.